Voltaire sat in a damp cell. The year was 1717, and he was stuck in the Bastille for writing poetry that slandered high-ranking French officials. But Voltaire, always a thinker, saw a silver lining to his situation. For more than 30 years, the French authorities had hidden one of their convicts behind a mask. The identity of this man plagued all of France. Soon, though, the young philosopher would learn who the man behind the mask really was. A guard at the Bastille who knew the man's identity was prepared to share it with Voltaire. To disclose such a secret wasn't a decision made lightly, but perhaps the guard and the writer shared some sense of friendship despite their circumstances. After all, the man in the Iron Mask's true identity had been the topic of conversation for years around France. Surely, the guard wanted to let someone else in on what he'd learned. With an air of seriousness, the guard made Voltaire promise never to repeat what he was about to hear. Then, with one final check to make sure they were alone, he whispered the secret of the man in the Iron Mask. Voltaire's jaw dropped. He couldn't fathom what he'd just learned. The truth wasn't just enough to rock the foundations of France. It could even start a war. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our one-part episode on the man in the Iron Mask. In the late 17th century, the French government imprisoned a mysterious man whose face was hidden behind an unwieldy mask to keep his identity hidden forever. Today, we'll start by explaining how the legend began and try to reveal the man behind the mask. We'll investigate whether he came from royal blood and was the true heir to the French throne. Then we'll look into one more theory. Perhaps the masked man was simply a valet to a powerful man. And when he learned too much, French officials tried to silence him. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
This year has gone by so quickly. So much has happened. I mean, I have already completely reconstructed the plumbing in my house. Luckily, not myself. I had help. And you know, with everything going on in life, sometimes it's important to slow down, take a minute to reflect and make adjustments for the rest of the year ahead. And if you need a little help with that, therapy is an excellent option. I have loved therapy so much in part because of the coping mechanisms it's given me. It's not just a place to share my feelings about my life or what's going on. I've learned ways to address my own mental habits so that I can handle what I'm doing even better. I've learned that self-care is not selfish, and it's really made a big difference in my life. If you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, and all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get started. Plus, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So take a moment for yourself. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash conspiracy. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. The man in the iron mask wasn't always that, meaning masked. For years, he was just a shadowy, elusive figure in the French prison system. At this time in the 1600s, the young King Louis XIV frequently imprisoned those he considered a threat to himself or his regime. And often, these prisoners didn't even receive a trial. To imprison someone, the king only had to send a lettre de cachet. As a result, cells were packed with the French ruler's rivals. All these enemies of state were often detained in massive prisons. One was the fortress of Pignerol in southeastern France. In 1669, the warden of the prison was a man named Benigne de Vernier de Saint-Mars. Known for his ruthless ambition, Saint-Mars eagerly undertook the warden role at Pignerol, his first major appointment. That year, he received a letter from François-Michel Letelier, the Marquis de Livois, who served as the king's secretary of state for war. He was writing to provide Saint-Mars extremely specific instructions concerning the incarceration of an incoming prisoner. He told the warden to place the criminal in a cell with windows that could not be accessed by anyone outside. He also said that only Saint-Mars could bring the prisoner clothes, food, and water. The warden wasn't to listen to a single word the prisoner said. In fact, if he requested anything aside from his most basic needs, Saint-Mars should threaten to kill him. Saint-Mars knew Pignerol housed enemies of the state. If this man was coming to the prison, he must have been considered dangerous to the crown. And so, when the mysterious captive arrived, the warden followed the orders to the letter. Once the prisoner was placed in his cell, 
Sanmars unsheathed his sword and pointed it at the new arrival with a warning. If he spoke out of turn, Sanmars would run the sword through him. The message was received. In the ensuing months, the convict barely said a word. His days fell into a dull routine. San Mars brought him each of his meals. Then he was left to sulk in solitude. Meanwhile, word spread around the prison and the neighboring town. An incredibly important person had taken up residence at the Pignarol Fortress. Locals speculated who this new convict could be, like the Marshal of France or even the president of a nearby country. And the longer the man's identity went undiscovered, the more intriguing the mystery became. For months, the prisoner languished in his cell. Occasionally, he was permitted to have a book or allowed to attend mass. But for the most part, the warden kept him under strict lock and key. For the prisoner, days turned to weeks, then months, then years. He remained at Pignerol for over a decade. It was only in 1680 that the routine was broken with the death of a prisoner named Nicolas Fouquet. Fouquet was the former Minister of Finance and one of Saint-Mars' most politically significant prisoners. His death felt like the end of Saint-Mars' tenure at Pignerol. The warden soon accepted a new post in the region of Exil, about 50 miles from Pignerol. However, he wouldn't be going alone. San Mars was ordered to bring the mysterious prisoner with him. This was no simple task. He needed to find a way to transport the man without him being seen and without anyone learning his identity. He formulated a plan. First, he would move the prisoner in secret, then place him alone in a cell. To transfer the man without detection, San Mars decided to use a method typically associated with royalty. A litter. In the 17th century, a litter was a basket-like contraption typically used to carry people of the upper class. Two poles were attached horizontally to a hammock where the wealthy laid, and porters carried their passenger to and fro in the litter. And most importantly for San Mars, litters typically had veils that prevented onlookers from seeing who was inside. In the fall of 1681, San Mars loaded the convict into the litter. Then he closed the curtain and ordered the porters to carry the prisoner all the way to Exile. Accompanied by a regiment of soldiers, the porters traversed steep hills and riverbeds. Anyone who spotted them would have assumed a lord or king was inside. After days of travel, the envoy arrived at the new prison without arousing any suspicion. The plan had worked, and the prisoner's identity remained a secret. With the brief flurry of action behind them, the prisoner's life returned to a sluggish pace. He was left in his cell almost around the clock, and he was forbidden from speaking. Once again, days passed and months. His next venture outside the prison only came when San Mars received another transfer a few years later. This time, the warden was heading to Sainte-Marguerite, a small island off the coast of Cannes in southern France, which meant Saint-Mars was tasked again with transporting his convict with stealth. In preparation for the journey, 
Sanmar scouted the island and its facilities. But the island residents grew curious about his travels and began to speculate that someone very important would arrive at the penitentiary soon. Because the public was already so curious, San Mars felt the litter tactic wasn't enough. He needed to take additional precautions to hide the criminal's identity. Unsurprisingly, as the litter passed through the town in the spring of 1687, locals did try to peer through the curtains. They wondered if the man could be a foreign king, a French trader, or someone with exorbitant wealth who'd fallen out of favor with Louis XIV. Instead, they claimed to see a metal mask. It was a shocking sight. Rumors spread that thick metal shielded all of the man's face, leaving only his eyes and mouth visible. The town erupted into a frenzy over the sighting. For someone's face to be covered, it meant they must have been extremely important. Soon, word of the secret prisoner spread across all of France. The legend of the man in the iron mask was born. Miraculously, Saint-Mars and his prisoner remained at Sainte-Marguerite for over a decade, until in 1698, when the warden received the biggest promotion of his career. He was to be governor of the Bastille prison, and as always, the prisoner would accompany him. Once again, the mysterious man wore a mask for the journey. Upon arriving at the Bastille, the guards gaped at the covered face. Saint Mars pressed on, instructing the guards of the now familiar routine. They were never to speak to the new prisoner, and his name would remain a secret forever. The man remained at the Bastille for five years. Contemporary accounts claim that never once did he remove his mask or leave his cell. The only people he ever saw were San Mars and the musketeers outside his cell, who were said to have been ordered to shoot him if he ever spoke his name or removed his mask. He passed his time with books and prayers, counting the minutes in between meals. His life ended quietly on November 18, 1703. While San Mars was aware the prisoner felt faint, he didn't think the illness was serious. By that evening, he was dead. After 34 years in solitary confinement, the man in the iron mask was gone. When someone dies, their myth can overtake their actual story. Think of other Frenchmen like Nostradamus and Nicolas Flamel, it can be impossible to separate their facts from fiction. And true to form, after his death, the legend of the man in the iron mask grew and grew. Theories abounded about the convict's identity. Some believed he was a disgraced general, the queen's former lover, or even royalty. Few of these theories had much basis in fact. The writer Voltaire clung to one of these theories in particular, though. In the 18th century, he claimed to know what was behind the Iron Mask, the face of a king. Coming up, King Louis arrests a threat to his throne. Put yourself in the shoes of a real-life detective. 
Imagine examining the crime scene, gathering evidence and interviewing witnesses, feeling the pressure mount as you race against time to catch a criminal. Each week on Scotland Yard Confidential, the new Spotify original from Parcast, we enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history, following in their footsteps as they hunt down suspects and solve seemingly impossible cases, like the scandalous murder of singer Cora Crippen in 1910, whose body was found in her cellar shortly after her husband skipped town or the daring Hatton Garden heist of 2015, when a gang of elderly thieves made off with a haul worth millions, and the cryptic notes found at a murder scene during the First World War. Was it a clue or a red herring designed to throw investigators off? Scotland Yard Confidential is a Spotify original from Parcast made in partnership with Noiser, airing episodes weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen to Scotland Yard Confidential for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now, back to the story. In the late 17th century, King Louis XIV ordered a man's arrest, followed by special stipulations for the criminal's incarceration. The prisoner was essentially never to be seen by anyone but his original warden, Benigne de Vernier de Saint-Mars, And should the prisoner speak of anything except his most basic needs, San Mars had orders to threaten him with death. The prisoner's face was said to always be covered in a mask, rumored to be iron, even when he transferred between French prisons. This led the public to concoct wild theories about who he could be. By the 18th century, one explanation became more popular than all of the others— Philosopher and writer Voltaire claimed he heard the truth while serving time in the Bastille, the same prison where the man in the iron mask took his last breaths. Which brings us to our first conspiracy theory. The man in the iron mask was the twin brother of King Louis XIV. Throughout much of the 18th century, Voltaire speculated that the mysterious prisoner was of royal descent, He reasoned that the mask was used because, otherwise, the prisoner would be recognized. And only one man in France had a face that could be recognized across the country, King Louis XIV. Therefore, the man in the iron mask must have looked identical to the French ruler. According to theories inspired by Voltaire, there were actually two babies born from the Queen of France, Anne of Austria, on September 5, 1638. King Louis XIV and his twin brother, the true heir to the throne. 
Holding the crying baby in her arms, Queen Anne smiled at her husband, King Louis XIII. They finally had an heir to the throne of France. But four hours later, Anne screamed out in agony. The king ran to her side. He demanded to know what was happening to his wife. The midwife said that the woman was giving birth to another son. She had been pregnant with twins. Louis XIII gasped as he watched the midwife deliver another baby. This child, however, appeared even more handsome and healthy than the first son. And he was also male, meaning he could have a claim to the French throne too. The king's elation soon turned to dread. Twin boys could mean the downfall of the dynasty. When it came time for one of the sons to ascend to the throne, if the twins fought over the crown, France could descend into civil war. Prompted by this fear, the king made a decision. The king and queen would keep the second-born boy because he seemed more vigorous than the child who came first. Then, the first-born son would go to a nobleman, and no one who knew of the arrangement was to ever speak of it again. The nobleman took the infant heir to his new residence, over 150 miles away. And not only did the nobleman love the young prince as his own, he couldn't help but treat the child with an added respect. This inevitably proved a little strange for the young boy. As he grew up, he wondered why his father acted so strange toward him. When the prince tried to ask about his birth, the nobleman never fully answered or he dodged the questions entirely. This only made his son more suspicious. Even more strange to the boy, the nobleman forbade him from ever looking at a portrait of Louis XIV, which only became more difficult when Louis XIV ascended the throne in 1643 at the age of four. Soon after, his face was plastered on everything from coins to playing cards. As the boy got older, he knew there had to be something his adopted father wasn't telling him. And he was right. Throughout the boy's life, the nobleman wrote letters to Louis XIV, Anne of Austria, and their advisor, the Cardinal Mazarin, keeping them updated on the life of the former heir. And when the secret prince was a teenager, he discovered one of those letters. The message revealed his true identity. He was the firstborn son of King Louis XIII, the twin brother of King Louis XIV, and the rightful heir to the French crown. That night, the boy confronted his adopted father about the portrait. Before the nobleman could negotiate with him, though, the prince told him he was leaving for the south of France, where Louis XIV was set to marry the Spanish princess. In front of the king and all of the guests, the former heir would reveal the truth. This was a terrible plan for several reasons, but mostly because it could seal the prince's fate for the worse. King Louis ran a tight ship. He responded to disruptions or threats to the crown by death or imprisonment. The nobleman knew this. So, to prevent the firstborn son from revealing his family's deepest secret, He locked the heir into his room. Then, he wrote a letter to King Louis XIV to inform him of the situation. He believed the French ruler would treat his twin brother with respect and kindness. 
The king did the opposite. Louis XIV had both the prince and the noblemen arrested. They were sent to Sainte Marguerite and the Bastille, both prisons allegedly occupied by the man in the Iron Mask. And once incarcerated, King Louis XIV ordered his twin to be fitted with an Iron Mask. The engineer built springs in the chin that allowed the prisoner to still eat while wearing it. There was a single keyhole in the back of the mask, so it could be removed every few months to cut the prisoner's hair and beard. Even when a doctor came to see him, the physician wasn't permitted to look beneath the mask. He could only examine the rest of the man's body and, if absolutely necessary, his tongue. Otherwise, if the prince ever uncovered his face or spoke his own name, the guards were to kill him immediately. While the treatment sounded brutal and isolating, the warden, San Mars, apparently treated him like the royalty he truly was. He provided him with fine linens for his bed, lace for his clothes, and rare delicacies for dinner. And that isn't the only evidence behind this theory. At one point, the Secretary of State for War, Louvois, came to visit the masked man. Apparently, according to witnesses, the minister remained standing until the imprisoned prince allowed him to sit. This was customary practice when addressing someone of a higher standing, and despite his imprisonment, he came from royal blood. Or, at least, that's the story that the French rumor mill told. Some historians have claimed that Voltaire got more than a few of the facts wrong in his version. First, there were records of the man in the Iron Mask being sent to Pignerol in 1669 and the Bastille in 1698. But Voltaire said he was arrested in 1661 and taken to the Bastille in 1690. By most accounts, his dates were off by nearly a decade and Voltaire got the dates of the prisoner's death incorrect. He said the man died in 1704, but there's well-documented proof he actually died a year earlier. While these may seem like trivial issues, many scholars also doubt the methods Voltaire used to acquire his facts. Voltaire served time at the Bastille in 1717, 1718, and again in 1726, But according to historical records, almost everyone who knew the man in the Iron Mask died before 1717. So it's difficult to imagine he got verifiable proof of his theory. On the other hand, there could be something to Voltaire's logic. He thought the authorities would only put a prisoner in a mask if they believed he could be recognized. So it stands to reason that he resembled the only truly recognizable person in France at the time, King Louis XIV. I'm hesitant to agree, since we don't know if he actually wore the mask all the time. That could all be hearsay. And on a base level, there's not any proof that Anne of Austria actually had twin sons. This was the first child that was actually born to Anne and Louis XIII, I would imagine something as groundbreaking as a second son could have been leaked by a servant or the midwife. Plus, in the centuries since Voltaire's death, 
it's been hard to actually root down where exactly this claim of the second son originated from. Some point to a publisher's note, which may or may not have been written by Voltaire or an unknown editor. Basically, it's hard to tell what Voltaire imagined and passed off as fact. Knowing that, I find it hard to believe that the man in the iron mask was King Louis's twin brother. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I'm going to give this theory a 1. You're probably right when telling the tale of the man in the iron mask. Voltaire and those who followed him seem to have approached the material like a novelist, not a seasoned historian. After all, the dates don't line up, and it's unlikely he had access to anyone with first-hand knowledge. Voltaire learned all of his information through the grapevine, and he never made the twin claim outright. He merely implied it for others to take and run with. For me, this theory is a two. While it's unlikely the man in the Iron Mask was of royal birth, he may have come from humble beginnings and gotten mixed up with the wrong people. Then, he was imprisoned for knowing too much. Coming up, the price of a political assassination. Now back to the story. While the legend of a masked man occupying prisons across France was intriguing, no one was quite sure where he came from. Some assumed he must be incredibly important to the crown, or potentially even royal. But it's possible the man in the Iron Mask was simply a commoner. Some historians believe he was only imprisoned because of what he knew. He might have had information to bring down some of the most powerful men in France. Which brings us to our second and final conspiracy theory. The man in the Iron Mask was a lowly valet named Ustache Doge. To understand why some historians believe a valet could be the famous masked prisoner, it helps to start with a letter. The first one the French Secretary of State for War, the Marquis de Louvois, wrote to Warden Saint-Mars in 1669. In July of that year, Louvois preempted the arrival of the mysterious prisoner with instructions on his care. He mustn't talk to anyone, and should he reveal his crimes, the prison should threaten to kill him. But in that same letter, Louvois also revealed that the convict's name was Ustache Doge, a valet. During the 1600s, valet described men who worked as personal assistants to the wealthy. The name Ustache Doge meant nothing to Saint-Mars. He was accustomed to overseeing high-profile inmates, not convicts who used to be servants. In later letters, officials also refer to the prisoner as Ustache Doge. So the release of these letters meant that historians had a name for the man behind the mask. And yet, they knew very little about his life. Until 1970. Enter Jean-Christian Petitfils, a French political scientist who wrote the seminal work on the man in the Iron Mask. According to his research, Ustache became involved in an assassination plot, which is what eventually landed him in prison. Unlike other French rulers before him, King Louis XIV didn't name a chief minister to help him run the country. Instead, 
he took a more hands-on approach and relied on advisors for guidance. As a result, his high-ranking officials began vying for power. Two of these ministers were Louvois and Jean-Baptiste Colbert, Louis XIV's first minister of state. Like the king, Louvois was power-hungry. When he came to power in 1662, Louvois and Colbert became natural enemies. Louvois saw the minister of state as an obstacle between him and the highest office in the land, save for the throne itself. By the early 1660s, Louvois had already become one of King Louis's chief advisors. But still, he wanted more and would do anything to get it. Each day, he worked to turn the king against Colbert. He implied to Louis XIV that Colbert embezzled tens of millions from the French government. Whether the accusation was true or not, the plan worked. In 1667, Colbert had fallen out of favor with the French ruler. But one year later, so did Louvois. By 1668, it seemed the king was tired of his secretary's antics and wanted him out. Louvois knew the king could have him banished, imprisoned, or executed at a moment's notice. So if he wanted to regain his footing with Louis XIV, he needed a plan, and fast. An opportunity fell into his lap later that year when Colbert became extremely ill. Louvois may have believed by poisoning Colbert's meal, he could finally get rid of his enemy and no one would suspect a thing. His death would be a tragic departure attributed to the illness. To execute the plan, Louvois allegedly enlisted one of Colbert's personal valets, Eustache Doge. According to Petafis, he bribed Doge to slip a vial of poison into Colbert's medicine. The day after the poisoning, though, Colbert was still alive. Perhaps Doge hadn't poured enough toxin into the minister's medicine. Now, Louvois would have been in a worse situation than before. If the king found out he tried to assassinate the minister, he would surely be punished. So Petifice suggests that he had to find the valet and ensure that he wouldn't speak another word of their agreement. But when Louvois tried to find the valet, he discovered that Doge had fled the country. For half a year, the secretary hunted his co-conspirator to no avail. Then, in July 1669, Doge returned to France. Upon his return, Louvois had him arrested. He couldn't risk the valet telling others what had happened. Doge knew too much. All of this came to a head when Louvois wrote the infamous letter to Saint-Mars, warning of the mystery man who was set to arrive at Pignerol. The secretary's careful instructions would ensure that no one ever discovered the assassination plot. There's good reason to believe this theory, granted what happened next. For one, the year the man arrived at Pignerol, Louvois learned that a visitor had spoken with Doge apparently disregarding his very straightforward rules. Louvois was incensed. He wrote to Saint-Mars to let him know how unacceptable this was to the king. There was also the matter of another high-profile prisoner being brought to Pignerol, which happened a year later. When King Louis imprisoned an old friend named Comte de Lausanne, 
Louvois' secret was threatened yet again. During Lazon's stay, the warden submitted a request to Lavoie. The new prisoner would need a valet in prison since Lausanne was still upper class. Doge seemed like the natural choice, but Lavoie immediately refused Saint-Mars' proposal. However, he would allow Doge to work as the valet for another prisoner, the former finance minister, Nicolas Fouquet. While Louvois refused one request and not the other may have felt odd to Saint-Mars at the time, but perhaps there was a reason behind his decision. In 1970, the historian Petifice pointed out that Colbert and Lausanne were old friends. Duget was probably close with Colbert when serving as his aide. Knowing that, he might divulge the assassination plot to Lausanne. Then, Lausanne could reveal the conspiracy to the king and send Louvois to the gallows. The other prisoner, though, Nicolas Fouquet, had been imprisoned by Colbert himself. Doget wasn't likely to be friendly to him. In fact, in a 1678 letter from Louvois to Fouquet, the Secretary of War referred to what the valet knew. So the finance minister may have already known everything. And there's more. Whenever someone entered Fouquet's cell, Doget had to cease his valet duties and leave immediately. This way, his crime and identity remained hidden. That is, until Lausanne discovered the secret. According to Petifice, Lausanne used the chimney duct to listen to Fouquet's conversations with his valet. And in early 1680, he wrote to Louvois, claiming to have valuable information that would interest him. But he wasn't ready to reveal that information to all of France, yet. In the letter, Lausanne offered a bargaining chip. If Louvois had him released, he would keep the information under lock and key. Louvois was in a corner. He couldn't let himself be blackmailed, but he also couldn't let the truth get out. However, Fouquet died soon after in 1680, providing another opportunity for Louvois. He was able to order Saint-Mars to free Doge. With no master to serve anymore, he was to be released from jail. This news baffled Lausanne. If Doge had truly been an assassin, the government would never release him so quickly. There could only be one explanation then. What he'd overheard through the chimney ducts was a lie. What he didn't realize was that Doge hadn't actually been released. He'd been transferred to another prison. There seems to be some historical evidence that the man in the Iron Mask was named Ustache Doge. Louvois even calls him by name in multiple letters to Saint-Mars and Fouquet. What we can't prove, though, is that Louvois actually had Colbert poisoned. While the tale is intriguing, there are too few sources that support it. I see what you mean. There's enough historical documents to indicate Ustache stayed at Pignerol but not what landed him there. And portions of it ring true. As Secretary of State for War, Louvois was an extremely high-ranking member of the government. Yet, for some reason, he visited Doge's prisons to inspect the cells. It seems like he had a vested interest in the facilities the man in the Iron Mask was kept in, or checking on whether there was gossip about his prisoner. 
That's true. But there are dozens of theories behind why Louvois imprisoned Ustache Doge. Some historians believe he knew about suspicious financial deals or that his name was even a pseudonym for something else. In truth, we know very little about this valet. It's indisputable, though, that there was a man in the Iron Mask. Though historians today think the mask was more likely to have been velvet. And we can prove that Louvois called him Ustache Doge. You're right. While we can't say for certain why he earned the mask, I think we can conclude Ustache Doge was the man behind it. For those reasons, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm giving this theory a 6. I agree. Without more insight into who Doge was, we can't prove much about his personal life or alleged crimes. But we can say that Doge was the name of the man in the Iron Mask at some point. So I'm going to go a little higher and give this theory a 7. Ultimately, the identity of the famous prisoner may be a mystery for the ages. For a legend that captivated all of France, the question still remains who the face behind the mask could have been. A royal heir? A greedy assassin? Or maybe just an ordinary man bandied about by power-hungry men? Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. For more information on the man in the Iron Mask, amongst the many sources we used, we found Josephine Wilkinson's book, The Man in the Iron Mask, and John Noon's book, The Man Behind the Iron Mask, extremely helpful to our research. We'll be back next time with a new episode. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brendan Hawkins, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Alex Bernard, with writing assistance by Amber Hurley and Mackenzie Moore, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Scotland Yard Confidential is the new Spotify original from Parcast. Enter the minds of some of the greatest detectives in history as they crack seemingly impossible cases. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting May 19th. Follow and listen for free on Spotify.